Good morning, church. Let's pray together as we begin. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this moment right now that we have to gather together as the church and to find ourselves in your presence. God, we know that you want to move and that you want to work. And so, God, we just pray right now that you'd have the freedom to do that. God, speak clearly to us through your word and God draw us close to you and I pray that you wouldn't just do a transforming work in our lives but God through our lives to further your kingdom Lord we love you and praise you we ask all these things in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus amen well good morning Woodway campus it's so good to be here with you uh, this morning I want to give you a message from Ben he wanted me to let you know that he is doing well and that he's at the West Campus this morning preaching and that he says hello. So a word from Ben this morning to, to you. I want to introduce myself. My name is Randy Farum, and I'm our student pastor at our North Campus um, up north. I've been on staff now for about five years, came on board in 2018. And I've got my wife is here. Yeah, oh, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> I've got my, my wife is here joining me, Lauren Farum, and I've got a picture of my family just so you can catch a glimpse into my life. This is my family, Lauren, and then my kiddos, Mason, Tatum, and Dawson. And so I've got a handful uh, there, always exciting um, in my household with those three kiddos. I uh, want to introduce a little bit about myself. I grew up in Oklahoma, and uh, I know we've got some Oklahoma fans here. Come on, here we go. I know. There are several people on staff, a lot of Okies, but my wife and I both grew up in Oklahoma. My wife's from Lawton. I'm actually from Edmond, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. That's where I grew up, born and raised. And I wanna let you know when I became a believer and um, it happened for me going into my sixth grade year. I went to a camp called Falls Creek. That was the church that I attended. That was our beach retreat. We went to Falls Creek, but not quite the same. Uh, it was a traditional camp experience, but. I remember going to camp and I'd been wrestling with this idea of making Christ the Lord of my life. Going back and forth, I thought, God, I don't really need to let anybody know that me and you are good. I'm just kind of, this is gonna be between me and you. And at camp, I remember it was the last night at camp and I was just overwhelmed with the reality of, man, I've never really truly given my life to Christ ever. And I'm sitting there going into my sixth grade year. And I remember it's this, we called it the tabernacle. Um, awesome, awesome place. And I remember I'm, out, I'm on the outside seat, aisles right here. And I remember there was a time of invitation. And I was wrestling with this step, the step of faith, to step out in this aisle to walk forward and make Christ Lord of my life. I even asked the guy next to me, I said, hey, will you go with me down, um, down there? And he said, nope, I'm not going down there. I was like, okay, God, I'm gonna do this on my own. So I remember I took this step and I remember thinking, God, all I know is that I just need you to be Lord of my life. And so I took this simple step of faith and I walked down front to this tabernacle. And I surrendered my life to Christ. And I just had no idea how profound that one simple step into an aisle to make Christ Lord of my life would wind up being. Um, that step would impact who I would marry um, that step of faith has impacted what I do um, in ministry. God called me into ministry in 2012. And I never imagined that that step of faith would someday lead me to Houston, Texas, um, of all places. In fact, if God would have told me in that moment that someday you're going to be in Houston, Texas, um, sharing God's truth to all of you, I may have said, okay, well, I'm not ready for that yet. Um, I'd rather not. That's a little bit intimidating. But I took that step of faith and God has used it in an, in an amazing way in my life. And I share that 
because this morning as we dive into Psalms, and I'm honored to be here with you this morning, I'm truly honored, but as we dive into Psalm 139 this morning, I want us to not forget what God can do with a simple step of obedience towards him. God will do something amazing. He will do something profound as we take a step of faith towards him this morning, and I wanna encourage you to do that. I don't know what that step might be as we dive into God's word. I think it's going to be different for some of us, the same for some of us. But I want to encourage you to take that step and allow God to do something that will just rock your world. Because I'll be honest, right now standing here, this is a moment where, that God is using to, to rock my world um, for the better. And he wants to do that in your life. And so we dive in this morning, Psalm 139, um, a popular psalm. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't. But God has something amazing to teach us in this psalm. And we're not going to cover the whole thing. Uh, we're only going to cover half of this psalm today, verses 1 through 12. But let God work. And let's take a step of faith towards him this morning. Psalm 139, verse 1, says this. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You are aware of all my ways. I think that phrase kind of sums up these first few verses. You are aware of all my ways. And then verse four says, before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. God knows all about it. I have two points this morning, pretty simple. Uh, I probably should have had three, but only two this morning. The first point is this, and it's simple, but again, I believe it's profound, and it's this. God knows everything. God knows everything. Again, it is simple, but if we just take time to reflect on that, it really is an incredible attribute of God. Um, the big word that we use to describe this point is God's omniscience. He knows everything. And I don't know about you, but when I think about God's omniscience, I always think about it on this grand level. I always think like, God, you know everything. And that includes all the, the stars and the sky, you place them there. And man, and I think about God knows everybody around the world. God, you know when the world's going to end and how that's going to happen. God, you know all those things. But this morning, I want us to think about God's omniscience. I want us to think about his knowing everything, not on a grand level, but I want us to think about it on a personal level. Because I think that's what the psalmist is getting at here when he says, you've searched me, you know me. It's a very personal attribute. And I want you to know this, the same God that knows how the world is gonna end is the same God that knows how your day is gonna end, how your week is going to go and how this year is gonna go. I wanna make this point just a little bit more personal and I wanna, I wanna phrase it this way. God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you in this room. And there's two things that stir up inside of me when I think about that. There's two kind of factors. The first thing that stirs up in me is this wow factor. This wow, God, you you know everything about me. The psalmist writes in Psalm 8, um, this is what Psalm 8 says. It says, when I observe your heavens, as the psalmist writes, as I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? Just think about that. God looks after us. He looks at us. 
Then he goes on to say, you made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. There's truly a wow factor when we think about God knowing everything about us, that the God of, who created all the universe would know who, who we are, who you are. I was reminded about a story as I was prepping. Uh, my wife and I, we grew up in Oklahoma and um, we had an opportunity in 2012, um, my wife got tickets to a Thunder basketball game. That's her NBA team, Thunder, Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, she got tickets to a, a basketball game. It wasn't just any basketball game, it was actually a playoff game. The Thunder were in the playoffs. And uh, she calls me and says, hey, I got these tickets, you wanna go? I said, absolutely, let's go and we're gonna do this. And she said, they're not just any tickets, they're sweet tickets. Not like they're sweet like we do the game, but we're gonna watch the game in a suite, in a room with a group of people, there's gonna be food. I'm like, this is amazing, you're amazing, wow. Thank you for these tickets, this is awesome. We walk into the suite and I don't remember much about the game, but there was one person that was in that suite that I will never forget. And um, that person, his name was Sam, it still is actually, his name is Sam Bradford, okay? When I say that name, some of you guys are like, who in the world is Sam Bradford? Some of you, you do know who that is, but I am curious, just by a show of hands, how many of you know who Sam Bradford is? Anybody in here? Okay, we've got a few, yes, this is good. Some Oklahoma people, yes. For me, whenever I walked into this suite and I saw Sam Bradford, that is the that at that moment, that was the pinnacle of people I could meet. For those of you who don't know, you're thinking, okay, fill me in, who is Sam Bradford? Okay, Sam Bradford played at the University of Oklahoma. He was the quarterback for OU, which I am a huge college football fan. It honestly has an unhealthy grip on my life. I'm working with the Lord on that. It is a struggle, but I love college football. And Sam Bradford played quarterback at OU. He won the Heisman Trophy in 2008, which means he was the best player in all of college football. He went on in 2010. He was the first number one overall draft pick um, in the NFL draft in 2010. He went to play and uh, start for the Rams um, in the NFL. And so for me, there was nothing better than to meet a Heisman Trophy winner, first round draft pick, quarterback of an NFL football team. That was it. Some of you guys, there's uh, movie stars that you would love to sit and hang out with, you know, musicians, artists, Taylor Swift, for some of you, that's up on the list. For me, I don't know, that'd just be all right. For me, it's, it's NFL football, college football, Oklahoma football, that's it. And I remember just being overwhelmed. I walked <coughs> into that room <coughs> and I asked my wife, I'm like, that is Sam Bradford. What, what, what do I do? And she's like, well, you could say hello. You know, I'm like, okay, that's a good idea. So so I walk up and I introduce myself. I say, hey, Sam, I'm Randy Farum. It's so awesome to meet you. And he began to have a conversation with me, which I was honored. And we start talking about OU football, NFL, Thunder basketball. Didn't want to be a creeper. So eventually I said, okay, I'll go hang out with my wife a little bit, give you some space. But then about a week later, we'd leave. And of course, I'm just overwhelmed. Man, I can't believe we got to hang out with Sam Bradford. This is amazing. And uh, about a week later, we leave the game. Thunder are still in the playoffs. My wife gets tickets to the same suite to go watch the basketball game. It's been about seven or eight days. And she calls me, she's like, hey, I've got tickets again. Do you wanna go? I'm like, absolutely, I want to. But I don't really care so much about the game. <laughs> I'm actually really intrigued with who's gonna be in the suite. Could we get a list of people? And so we go to the game, we walk in, and there he is again. I'm not joking, Sam Bradford is in that room. And he's with his buddy, DeMarco Murray this time, who um, played at OU, was a Dallas Cowboy running back. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this. 
This is a dream. Lauren, I'm dreaming right now. This is crazy. But I had a little bit of a dilemma because I didn't know, do I go up and I just introduce myself to Sam Bradford again? I, the last thing I want to do is to go and be like, hey, Sam, how's it going? Yes, me and you. And he'd be like, whoa, who are you? Security or something like that. <clears throat> so I decide, I decide I'm going to introduce myself again. And so I walk up to Sam Bradford and I say the same thing I said the first time I met him. I said, hey, Sam, I'm, I'm Randy Farham. It's so, it's so great to meet you. And I remember, I'll never forget, he kind of looked at me with this weird look. I'll never forget these words. He said, I know who you are. And I'm, I'm making this moment longer than it was, but for me, it was like time stood still. He said, <laughs> he said I, know, I know who you are. He said, how are you doing? This is my buddy DeMarco Murray. And I said, DeMarco, it's so nice to meet you. This is great. I said, hey, we should make this a habit. We should watch a lot of these games together. This is great. This is going to be awesome. But I will never, I'm, I share that story. It's been, what, 10 years now, over 10 years. But I'll never forget, even when we left, I told Lauren, I said, Sam Bradford said he knows me. <laughs> he knows me. Everybody knows who he is. Not anymore, I guess, but a lot of people knew who he was. But he said he knew me. And I was just overwhelmed with that thought. Just that this is, this is crazy. This is awesome. And I tell you that story. I, I, I tell you that because in an infinitely greater way, infinitely greater way this morning, God, through this psalm, Psalm 139, he looks at each one of us and he says, I know you. I know who you are. I've searched you. I know when you sit down. I know when you stand up. I know your travels. I know your rest. I know your thoughts. Wow. God knows us. And if that doesn't cause you to be amazed, then church, we don't understand. Amen. Amen. If that doesn't cause you to be amazed, then you don't understand who God is. I think some of us are so consumed with the world knowing who we are. We're so wrapped up in making sure we get the likes and the comments on social media that we forget that our creator, he knows who we are. And I promise you this morning, that's all that matters. In the grand scheme of things, in all eternity, that is the only thing that matters this morning. Wow. The wow factor. But there's also the woe factor. The woe factor. That's the second thing that stirs up inside of me is the woe. Okay, it's awesome that God knows who I am, but woe. God knows everything about me. It's the Isaiah chapter 6 response. If you read in the, uh, in, in about the prophet Isaiah in, in chapter 6, Isaiah comes before God and he's in the presence of God and his response is to say, woe is me for I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, I, I'm, I'm ruined. God, you're in my presence and this is it. You're going to just crush me here. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. And that, that should be our response too. There should be a wow factor, wow, but there should also be a woe factor. Lord, you know everything. The, the things that I did, what happened last night, God, you know all about that. What happened last week, God, you, you're fully aware of that. Those things that I've tried to keep hidden or that I think are hidden from my friends and from my family, God, you are fully aware of that. And there should be a woe. There should be a conviction. But I want you to understand something from this passage today. That God knows everything. And there's conviction. But God doesn't want us to carry around a weight. That all of a sudden we're exposed. And now there's got to be this anxiety. There should be conviction. 
But I want to read verse 5 to you because it offers some hope to us. God knows everything. And listen to what the psalmist writes in verse 5. God knows everything. And then in verse 5 it says, you have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This is good news. The God who knows everything about your life, he doesn't look at your life and think, I hope you can get it together. And when you get it together, let me know. He doesn't turn and abandon us. But the Psalm says that God encircles us, that he comes around us knowing everything about you. He still chooses to come around you and he says that he puts his hand on you. He puts his hand on you and granted, Church, there are times where that hand of God is a hand of discipline, and there are times when that hand is a hand of comfort. But thank goodness that God intervenes in the midst of our sin and loves us either way. That we have a God who would discipline us, that we would have a God that would comfort us. Because he does both out of love. He encircles us this morning, and that's good news. That is good news. In fact, you may be familiar with this passage in Romans chapter eight. It says this, or Romans chapter five, verse eight, says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. It wasn't, looks like you guys have made some progress here with being better at following my rules. Now I'll send Jesus. No, the Bible says when we were still sinners, when we were far away from God, that's when God says, when it looks like there's no hope, I'm gonna bring you a hope. I'm gonna put Jesus on this earth to die on the cross for you, listen to me, so that you don't have to carry around the burden and the weight of your sin. But he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And if you would accept him as Lord, then you would experience this forgiveness of sin and you'd be set free. That is great news. It's interesting with Isaiah, when he bows before God, he says, woe is me for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. You know what God does? He touches him with this coal and then he says, you're gonna be my spokesperson. Isaiah says, man, you, whoa, I'm, I'm ruined. This is it. And God says, nope, this isn't it. I'm gonna use you in a powerful way. And let me just tell you, that's what God wants to do this morning. As you wrestle with God knowing everything, as there's conviction, I want you to know that's not the end of the story, that there's hope this morning in Christ. God wants to use you to accomplish something amazing. But again, it's that step, what small step of obedience is God calling you to make today that he's gonna use in a profound way? And you may think, gosh, I can't wrap my mind around this. Well, listen to what the psalmist says in verse six. After contemplating these things, he says this, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. If you're sitting here thinking, how could a God who knows everything about me, Randy, you don't understand what I've done. There's some stuff in my life that I'm like, I don't want anybody to know about. And you're saying that God, God knows that and he still loves me. I don't, I don't know that you truly, I don't know that, that you truly understand what's going on in my life. And let me just tell you, I know it may seem hard to understand. It may seem lofty, but let me just tell you, just because we can't reach it doesn't mean it's not real. Just because you can't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't really, it's not really happening. Just because you can't reach it doesn't mean it's not real. And so don't let the enemy rob you of that truth this morning. And then we go on and we read through the second half of the Psalm, starting in verse seven, and we come to our second point. But in verse seven, the Psalmist says this. He says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
right? Can I, can I get away from you? And then in verse eight, it says, if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. In the grave is what he's saying. In heaven or in the grave, you are there. If I live at the Eastern horizon or settle at the Western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. It is good news today that God is not just everywhere, but that he intervenes in our life. You will hold on to me. That's what that passage is saying. God isn't standing back saying, I hope you figure it out, but he's reaching in to your life. Even this moment right now, this morning, God is reaching in to hold on to you. And then it goes on in verse, 10, in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. I love the way that Skip Isaac puts this when he's looking at this passage. You know, God, I can't, heaven, Sheol, the eastern horizon, the western limits, darkness and light. What Skip says is that death, distance, and darkness can't keep us from God's presence. And the second point, again, it's simple, but it's this, right? The first one is that God knows everything about you. And the second thing is this, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. I'm telling you, I know that is simple, but that is a profound truth. The big word that we use to describe this, the attribute of God is his omnipresence that he is everywhere. Some of us wish we could share this attribute with God, that we could be in multiple places, especially those of you that have kiddos. I need to be here, I need to be here, I need to be here. And we try to be omnipresent, but it is actually an incommunicable attribute that we cannot share with God as hard as we might try. But it is something that God possesses. He is everywhere. And I want you to think about this on a personal level too, not just on a grand level, that God would be everywhere. But I want you to think about it this way. God is everywhere, even here. And maybe you think, yeah, of course he's here. We're in a church. That makes sense. But he's in your home. He's all around. He knows you. And some of you I know are maybe going through some really challenging, difficult situations. You may be wondering, is God here? Is he not? Maybe some storms. And I want you to know that God is here. He's there. He's everywhere. It, I'm reminded when I read through the first part of verse seven, well, actually just verse seven, where he says, where can, I, where can I go to escape you? Or where can I go to flee from your presence? And I'm reminded of Jonah. If you're familiar with the prophet Jonah, God gives Jonah some pretty clear instructions on what he wants him to do. And Jonah decides, you know what? I don't, I don't wanna do that. I wanna do my own thing. And so Jonah decides to go the opposite way of God's commands, which sometimes that's what we think. God's asking me to do this. Well, if I just do the opposite, Maybe I'll get God away from me. And so he flees. It actually says in verse three that he went to Tarshish, Tarshish, um, say that three times fast, Tarshish, to flee the Lord's presence. He wanted to get away from God, but you know what? He tried really hard, but he did not get away from God. He found himself in the middle of a storm, and you know who was in the middle of that storm with him? It was God as much as he was trying to get away. And then he found himself in the belly of a fish that the Lord had appointed to swallow him up and he's in the belly and I don't know, that has to be horrible. And he began to pray in the belly of that fish and you know who was there in that dark, probably stinky spot? <laughs> God was there. God was there listening. And I want you to know that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, God is, he's there. He's right here with us. And there are times where we think, you know, maybe God is only in the church. 
Maybe he's confined to this certain area. And I want you to know that this passage teaches us clearly that there's nowhere we can go to escape the presence of God. God's presence is not confined to a location or to a nation or to a building or to a place. God's presence is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's here. And as we begin to wrap up, I want you to meditate on this thought because God's presence is everywhere. But I realize some of you are probably thinking, you know, you say that God is everywhere, but it really doesn't, doesn't seem like it in my life. And there's one important factor that we have to remember when it comes to God's presence. And I want you to know this. God dwells all around us. We can't escape him. But I want you to know something. God doesn't just desire to dwell around you. God desires to dwell in you. This is where God wants to take up residence. But you have to let him in here. He's all around us. I'm reminded in Mark chapter six, I was reading this today and I'm just reminded, or this morning, and I'm just reminded in Mark chapter six, Jesus, he says in his hometown, he was unable to do miracles except heal a few sick people. And he says he was unable to do that because of their unbelief. You see people in close proximity to Jesus. But let me just tell you something, proximity to Jesus doesn't mean just because you're experiencing Jesus's proximity doesn't mean you're experiencing his power. And that's what happens all throughout the New Testament. There are people that are experiencing God's power and there are people who are not. And it all hinges on this unbelief. God is all around. He's dwelling all around. But what he wants to do more than anything is to dwell in you. Will you let him do that? Because if you really want to experience the life transformation that he offers, God's presence has to go from being around you to being in you. And in 1 Corinthians 3.16, God's word tells us this. As Paul is talking to the church, he says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? 